Hello and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki, and you're listening to Talking Tachlis, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. So Uri, last week was probably one of the most difficult, at least for me, it was a really, really tough episode to record. Mm-hmm. Um, it does feel gratifying that, you know, so every week we, we we solicit, it's very important for us to get feedback, and thank God people really do do engage with us. But I think I felt like overwhelmed in a good way by how many people have already been in touch with us about last week's episode. Definitely. And actually, the last time I felt that way was probably the last time we spoke about this topic. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We need to branch out. Um, But for that particular reason, even though normally in the opening of our episodes, we talk about feedback from last week, this week we're actually not doing that because we want to hold off because we have been continuing to get um, so many emails and just so so much feedback. Um, so with that being said, please, people, if you're thinking about being in touch with us and haven't yet, we really want to hear from you your thoughts about the episode, your thoughts about the topic itself. Since we recorded uh, right before Shabbat on Friday, um, the Supreme Court decided, or Sotomayor representing the Supreme Court has decided that YU does get the stay, which means that they do not have to grant the club the right to meet uh, until the, the the next layer of the court uh, actually makes a decision. Um, not the right to but, meet, um, the right to be sponsored by the school. Sure, sure, From as an official school-sponsored right. club. Um, but w- with that being said, I think it's interesting that, Uri, this week's topic is actually, it, it's also a YU topic. Maybe mm-hmm. it's another reason we need to really uh, branch out. But it's a completely different side of YU, which I think is actually really interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot. I don't know what to make of it, but it's also something that is... That YU has more going on than just the controversy about an LGBTQ club? Well, sure. I mean, of course there's more going on, but the idea that there are so many... <sighs> There are ways in which why you can, and I don't want to say us. There are ways in which I think why you can be can can disappoint me, and there are other ways that why you does things that are totally unrelated and are actually really special and really interesting and really valuable. Mm-hmm. And I, I I I don't want to lose sight of that. And I think that the students and the alum have been very careful to kind of say that that part of why, like many of the students, for example, wrote that part of why they chose to go to YU, even knowing the limitations they would have as part of their LGBTQ identity, part of the reason they still chose the university was for the other things that meant a lot to them about mm-hmm. the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is one of those examples of something that I think it makes YU really special in a positive way. Totally. Totally agree. I can't wait to have the discussion. All right. So with that, let's let's get into it. So this week we have two guests. Dr. Stephen Fine is the Dean Pinchas Chorgan Professor of Jewish History at Yeshiva University, director of the YU Center for Israel Studies and the YU Israelite Samaritans Project. A cultural historian of ancient Judaism, Fine's books include The Menorah, From the Bible to Modern Israel, and Art and Judaism in the Greco-Roman World Toward a New Jewish Archaeology, which received the 2009 Jordan Schnitzer Book Award of the Association for Jewish Studies. His exhibition volumes, The Arch of Titus from Jerusalem to Rome and Back, and The Samaritans, A Biblical People, were published by Brill. Our second guest, Dr. Jesse Abelman, is curator of Hebraica and Judaica at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., Prior to joining Museum of the Bible, he taught Bible and history in a variety of contexts to a diverse set of audiences. He spent nine years teaching at a variety of programs at the Drisha Institute for Jewish Education and taught in several high schools in the New York area, as well as at Yeshiva College. He has a BA from McGill University and an MA, PhD, and rabbinic ordination from Yeshiva University. And if you could figure out from those two bios, they're both here to talk about an upcoming exhibit at the Museum of the Bible called The Samaritans, a biblical people, and the exhibit will be open from September 16th to January 1st, 2023. So thank you both so much for 
talking with us today. I'm thrilled to be with you. Yeah, thanks for having us on. So I guess to, to start off, I think we, we have to just start with the basics. Um, Dr. Fine, and I want a disclaimer that both Dr. Fine and Dr. Eberman said that we can call them and should call them Stephen and Jesse, so we will do. So Stephen, Jesse, I, I guess just let's start with the basics. Who are the Samaritans and why do we even care that this exhibition is opening? Why, do, why the Samaritans, if you will? First of all, our exhibition is part of a, a larger Yeshiva University um, project called the YU Israelite Samaritan Project. We not only are creating an exhibition, which is going to open at the Museum of the Bible and then move to Germany and then beyond that, but we've created a full-length documentary with the new fund for cinema and television in Israel, a marvelous book and a cookbook. Hmm. Now, <laughs> why have we gone through all of this effort? Um, the YU Center for Israel Studies is dedicated to the study of Israel and all of its complexities across history. And there's very few subjects as complex as the Jewish-Samaritan relationship, which goes back almost 3,500 years, during most of which Jews and Samaritans were not friends. In fact, they were enemies. Hmm. The story of the Samaritans is the story of the other Israelites, the other Israel, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, the keepers of the Torah, as they call themselves, not Shomronim from Shomron, but Shomrim, the keepers of the Torah, the other Israelite religion, not people who are Israel of the spirit, as Christians claim to be, but another Israel of the flesh. So the question is, why wouldn't they be interesting to us? Here's our adjacent people, and we've almost forgotten their existence. This is an opportunity for Jews to look out and see the adjacent path that wasn't taken, and for Christians to look out and see who that guy, the Good Samaritan, was, and to really reflect together on relationship, good relationships, bad relationships, and how to make relationships better on, on a national level even after 3,500 years of animosity. Hmm. I think the, the, the other piece of this is also, right, that, that, that's a, um, a, a, a deeply personal uh, kind of connection, right, that we as Jews, Christians, people who have, a, who have a, real, a real relationship to the Samaritans and how to live in relationship, but I think there's also this piece at a bigger distance where we're also telling a story that, that sort of, that that speaks to just broader, very broad questions, right? About uh, and questions about relationships are of course very broad, but very broad, broader questions about um, how people survive as minorities mm -hmm. um, for extended mm -hmm. periods of time, right? Um, how they how this is a flip, maybe a, a different different direction on the same question. How people survive as minorities, how they negotiate their lives. Um, as the world around them changes, mm -hmm. um, both how they how they keep how they how, how they continue to be Shomrei HaTorah, guardians of the Torah, um, while also living in the world today in different ways. Mm -hmm. Right, that makes sense. And actually, um, Steve, you mentioned the documentary. So uh, a few months ago, uh, when the documentary was shown at the Wai Museum, uh, I was there for that, and it was fascinating, unbelievable. And just like what Jesse is getting at, and you said this in the the panel afterwards, it was in a way. That's not the purpose of it, because it's really about the Samaritans and learning about them. But it's also like a mirror on ourselves and understanding 
the Jewish people's path, and if you're Christian, I'm sure it's shed some light on, on that also. Um, so that would the I we're, by the way. So pause for a second. Where can people find that documentary? Is it available anywhere? Oh, the documentary is going to be shown at the Museum of the Bible mm -hmm. a number of times in the upcoming weeks. It's going to be shown at the Other Israel Festival in New York mm. on November 11th. It opens in Jerusalem at the our premiere is going to be in Jerusalem in the presence of the Samaritan community, which will be very exciting. Wow. Uh, during Hanukkah at the Cinematheque in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. and then it will be spreading across the country. So watch out oh, your local yeah, theater. Cool. And for, for folks who are in D.C., maybe we can put the link to the event page for the showings here in D.C. in your show notes. Is that something we can do? Yeah, definitely. Awesome. I'll send that to you. Perfect. So before we move on, I just want to make sure I understand, because I think, Stephen, what you said was really interesting. It sounds like you're saying that, you know, conceptually, a lot of us in the you know religious world think of ourselves as the um philosophical heirs to the israelites right like i think muslims think that christians obviously think that jews think that not only are we the philosophical heirs but that we are the kind of we are the obvious i don't even know how to say it we are literally the 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 technical heirs to the israelites it sounds like you're saying that not only is that true there is also an equal claim by the modern day Samaritans that yes, they believe that they are the philosophical heirs, but also they are the technical, uh, I don't know, I don't, what are the, what are the right lineage. words here? Yeah, lineage, those are all the words. Like they are the yeah. children of the Israelites in the same way that we are. We cannot claim well, to be we're the, the children only, of the Judeans. Right, yeah. different tribes. We're not claiming to we're be the from Judeans the same. We're the Judeans and they're the Israelites, right? When they tell the story, we broke away from the tribes of Israel uh, and went to Jerusalem and swiped the tabernacle. It's a completely reversed that's story. Wild. It's a narrative. <laughs> like that's wild. Like meaning meaning like they there's almost like a totally like philosophically, totally like an equal right to say that we are the children of Israelites or fine. So you're saying look, we're there. We're Israel. It's not exactly Israelite, but the, the biblical stories that we're hearing about our forefathers, they are saying literally the exact same thing. These are the big biblical stories of their forefathers. They'll also say there are forefathers. Right? Yeah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. 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 Now the other thing is I never deal with um, the truth claims of anybody. Right. In other sure. words, they make this claim. It's historically reasonable. I don't compare their truth to our truth or value theirs. Right. Um, remember, I do belong to the Orthodox Jewish community. And so while I, I value and, 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 and supportive uh, of the Samaritan community deeply and feel no reason to polemicize, I've told my Samaritan friends they have no reason to polemicize against me. We can agree on 98% and still mm -hmm. be friends. So, so We don't have to yeah. agree on 100%. Maybe along those lines, could you maybe, in a nutshell, um, get into maybe some of the major divergences going all the way back to Tanakh, to the, to the uh, Hebrew Bible? Well, look, Samaritans have five books. Genesis, Genesis through the death of Moses. Mm -hmm. That is the end of their scripture. Mm -hmm. They do not have those Judean and Israelite prophets. They do not have Psalms. They do not have the writings. They certainly do not have the Mishnah and the right. Gemara and the rest of mm -hmm. it, right? They have a independent tradition that builds upon the Torah and believes that their authority structure goes back to 
um, Eleazar, the high priest, the son of um, Aaron, mm -hmm. and where Jews took took a side step. Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai Miseral Yehoshua. Everyone agrees with that. Mm -hmm. Now, the next question is, where does it go from there? Mm -hmm. Jews and Samaritans have widely different approaches to that question, mm -hmm. um, which they which is focused on having different mountains. After all, the Samaritan holy mountain is Mount Gerizim mm -hmm. near above Nablus. The Jewish one is, of course, Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. There are some variations in their Torah scrolls, but not huge variations, understandable variations in terms of what we know about uh, the history of, of the Pentateuch of the Torah during the Second Temple period, except for two interesting changes. Their 10th commandment, the way they number it, is to be sure to sacrifice on Mount Rizim. Mm. And every place in Devarim where it says, Hamakom Asher Yifchar Hashem, they have it, Hamakom Asher Bachar Hashem, mm. the place that the Lord mm. has chosen. Because obviously, God has already chosen Mount Rizim, mm -hmm. and Jerusalem was a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, through the ages, um, in the polemic between Jews and Samaritans, that's the the, I hate to use the term, the crux of the problem, <laughs> right? If the Samaritans um, would only give up on Mount Rizim, it says on Masechet Putin, um, we might receive them, we might accept them back. Similarly, <laughs> Samaritan referred to Jerusalem as Arur Shalem, hated Shalem. Mm -hmm. And so this is a long history over yeah. a long period of these things being dividers right i mean there is in our later books of the bible which you're saying they don't have an equivalent to there are there's a whole huge rift between the kingdom of israel and the kingdom of judah is this what that is this is our perspective of that rift as far as they're concerned ellie the uh, they they read the jewish bible carefully especially when they needed to explain themselves to themselves and to the muslims mm -hmm. And they wrote a counter history. And so Eli went off and created his own cult place at uh, Shiloh, mm -hmm. which was eventually transferred to Jerusalem, rebelling against the true religion. Mm. If he had followed the true religion, we would still live in a period of goodness mm -hmm. as opposed to the period wow. of darkness that we live in today awaiting the return of the tabernacle, which is hidden on Mount Rizim, and waiting for the Redeemer, the Tahab, he, will, he who will return, a Moses-like figure, to bring it back to his people. Hmm. Fascinating. Now, in other words, all this stuff sounds really familiar <laughs> until it takes the side entrance, right, the side exit right. off the freeway, right? Yeah. And how many Samaritans are there now in the world? think uh, about around 850 give or take wow. um, on any given day um, you know if someone's born someone dies wow. um, but we're, we're right around 8, 850 right now I believe so so uh, the, this might be a dumb question but why so few like why is it such a tiny community First of all, there, there were 120 around the return of the, the turn of the century, turn of the 20th century. So they've actually grown enormously in the past 120 years or so. That's that's the first. But why were they so few then? It's it's been uh, a long history of attrition of um, you know life in one place, um, you know, and with a lot of persecution from all kinds of angles, uh, trying to sort of navigate those waters. Um, while you know only only marrying in 
Um, and so that's, you know, that means there's assimilation. That means there's, 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 there's death. Life is difficult and the numbers dwindle down. They were picked off. They were picked off by, by, by the, by Christians. And then they were picked off and murdered, um, under Islamic authorities, hmm. the communities that existed in places like Damascus and uh, Cairo. Hmm. Um, either and how, died long, out how or long ago was that? Were killed in the 18th century, uh-huh. 17th, 18th century. Uh-huh. Um, there were communities all over the land of Israel in Tukharam and Yafo and Ashkelon and in Gaza. Um, but eventually, anyone who was going to survive um, came to Nablus and, and tried. Um, in 18, around 1840, um, we got an ultimatum. Either you convert, either you prove to us, meaning the locals, that you are monotheist or, or convert, hmm. or we'll kill you. Those are your options. It was only because the Jerusalem rabbi, the first chief rabbi of Jerusalem, uh, wrote a letter to the Turks saying that the Samaritans are Israelites who believe in the law of, Torah, of the Torah of Moses, that uh, they survived. Hmm. So you're saying at that time this they, and go. they were persecuted more than the Jews were in that area at that time. You're saying they have been so persecuted. Look in the in the period after the destruction of the temple, there was a kind of rapprochement. Jews would eat Samaritan matzah, for example. Mm-hmm. There was really a rapprochement as wow. Samaritan population spread into the shvela. Uh, Samaritans built mikvaot. They built synagogues. But into the fourth, third, fourth century. Samaritans are becoming more and more populous, and there are more Samaritans in, say, Caesarea, which is the city adjacent to Samaria, mm-hmm. than there were Jews. Mm. And um, rabbis got nervous mm. and started saying awful bad things about them and cutting them off from the uh, from the previous period of reapprochement, um, calling them dog worshippers, calling them idolaters, calling them all sorts of awful things. But they had none of the protections that Jews had under Roman law. So, for example, Jews didn't have to pray to the emperor. Samaritans had no way out, Mm. for example. Um, And when the Christians came in, they had even less protection because, after all, there weren't Samaritans all over the world. There were small communities in places like Thessalonica. We have archaeology that would be in our exhibition, a 6th century uh, inscription, 5th century, from Thessalonica, from a Samaritan community, and a 2nd century BC inscription from a Greek island called Delos. There were Samaritans all over, but they didn't have the power that Jews did through, until about the 6th century to sustain themselves. Mm. They were really um, often mistreated by Jews, and certainly mistreated by Christians. Hmm. Um, we have evidence that uh, Jews and, Christ- and Samaritans had, had warm local relations all the way through this period. Small bits of evidence, but evidence. The same artisan made a synagogue for Samaritans who made one for Jews in the city of uh, Bechan. Oh, wow. Marianos and his son Kanina. And so there was all sorts of connectedness, and we see this in their literature. We see this in our literature. We see this in their art. We see it in our art. These were literally the two lobes of the tribes of Israel um, who were brought together at some level by uh, Israel of the spirit, meaning the Christian um, colonialists that surrounded them. Hmm. Um, But it was always ambivalent. In the Middle Ages, there were three communities in Cairo, 
uh, that were under the same authority, the Jews, the, the Rabbinites, the Karaites, and the Samaritans. The same thing was in Damascus. Jesse wrote about this um, in our book. Um, Jesse, but I don't remember exactly what what did, what did Benjamin of Tudela right. say? So this is, this is, I think, Benjamin of Tudela, who's a 12th century, century Jewish traveler who makes his way from Spain east and he wrote a travelogue that became hugely popular translated into all kinds of languages there's a lot of many manuscripts of it can be found um so when he gets to israel um he talks about the communities there mm-hmm. um and not just israel he's you know damascus is also mentioned cairo right the the whole region and he mm-hmm. talks as steve mentioned about the three the three sort of Israelite communities the rabbinite communities and the Karaite communities and the samaritan community when he talks about the samaritans um, right, he talked about how they're independent from the Jews. They kind of get along, um, but there's a uh, but they don't marry. They don't marry each other, mm-hmm. right? Unlike the Karaites and the Rabbinites who did, hmm. right? Um, uh, and and then what's interesting about when he talks about them, um, and this is I think in a lot of ways sort of the key attitude you see among Jews towards Samaritans throughout the sort of late rabbinic period and up until up until the 19th 20th centuries even right um which is this real kind of attitudes of like kind of discomfort and ambivalence you talked about a mirror uri which is something mm-hmm. that steve says a lot also yeah. right but it's like a funhouse mirror in a lot of ways right because he talks about how right on the one hand he says well they have torat moshe Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, they do things. He, he talks about their holidays, which are all the same biblical holidays that we have. Mm-hmm. When he's talking about that, those things, he seems to take it seriously. Right. But mm-hmm. at the same time, right, he's throwing out these um, these canards. Right. These insults about like how the way they pronounce Hebrew shows that they don't really understand um, the the biblical text mm. and how and how and how they've they've corrupted it right which I mean they do have a slightly different as, as Steve described they do have a somewhat different text slightly different text than we do mm-hmm. um, but it, it's not really he's not talking about that right he's yeah. he's he's on the one hand right he he doesn't know what to do with these people who on the one hand um, are so much like us and share our most you know important and sacred texts on the one hand and on the other hand um, are not us very mm-hmm. much, you know, um, uh, and and so there's this there's this ambivalence, and you have see the other the other sort of roughly contemporary, a little bit later interaction is the Ramban, hmm. um, right? So the the Samaritans have a different use a different Hebrew script than the Jews do. Um, they use the sort of the Paleo Hebrew script, the older Hebrew script. We we adopted later uh, a different a different a different Hebrew script, mm-hmm. and their their script sort of uh, continue to develop from that from that script and so um, the Ramban he's, he's he's talking about 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 um, about about the biblical shekel as a coin um, and he's looking he's looking he, he, he finds a he finds an ancient coin which I think correct me if I'm wrong Steve it's a tetradrachma right it's a it's a um, uh, it's a coin I think from the Bar Kokhba rebellion um, the first revolt the first, the first revolt sorry the first revolt and um, it has it has as a kind of um, uh, sort of patriotic thing. They went back to the old Hebrew script for those coins, hmm. right? Um, so he he's, he 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 leaves Spain and he goes to Israel. Um, he retires, you know, like like so many people today, he retires to Israel, mm-hmm. um, uh, fleeing people who didn't like 
some of the things he said back in Spain. Um, and he uh, and 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 he discovers this coin, and he doesn't know, or or the local community has this coin in Akko, and. The, he says, well, how do you read it? Because I don't know how to read hmm. Paleo-Hebrew. I don't know how to read it, this, this, this kind of Hebrew. And they say, well, we asked the Samaritans about it. Wow. Right? Because um, it's more like their script. Um, so there's like a, again, there's a sense that they have that kind of similar ancient connection, while at the same time, it's questioned in all kinds of ways. Right. Well, it's almost a threat. In a way, yeah, exactly. It is sort yes, of like 100%. Rifki was getting at. Like, if a Jew hears about this, it's like, wait, I thought we're the Jews, but now they say they're like mm-hmm. I, that. Could be threatening. I, I could think for some people. Let me give you an example. There was a community in um, near Izmir that somehow got a gold embroidered parochet from the Samaritans in Egypt, and their community died in the 16th century, hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. They hung it up, everybody liked it, it was really pretty, and some nudnik came to town and wrote to the chief rabbi in Constantinople and said, can we keep this, <laughs> right? And and so he writes back, and what does he say? Well, they're not idolaters, <laughs> and there's no reason you really shouldn't keep it, but you probably shouldn't, <laughs> and so don't. Uh-huh. So can you, other, can you just no explain that? To tell them. It just didn't... Feel right. Yeah. Yes. It just didn't feel right. My student, Baruch Lev Kelman, is writing his MA thesis on this. Um, it didn't feel appropriate to have. And that's the interesting thing about Samaritans. They're often so close that they're discomforting. Right. Except, of course, there's enough of them to fill today two 747s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think I think it, it what what throws me off is that in the in I think what we've we've often learned at least I feel like this was part of my schooling. Tell me if you you disagree that this is like kind of normative um, Orthodox theology. Um, but that one of the things, especially when it comes to modern day Israel, one of the things that we are always constantly looking for and have been looking for since the destruction of the temple and since the exile is for all of the Jews or all of the I'm saying Jews, but for all of the people who had been united as a nation from the 12 tribe thousands of years ago, who have since been dispersed for all of us to reunite, to come back together, to be one nation again. And it sounds like the Samaritans are part of that dispersal. They were part of those original tribes and now we've all separated why would there be pushback to all of us coming back together so again? there's there's an important piece here that i think that that maybe we're missing right which is just uh-huh. that according to according according to our traditions right according I mean, according to according to say for malachim there we de, we deny that they're israelites right in that sense um right we have um or ambivalent about their israelite status yes yes exactly they, ne- that. they never ever say anywhere in chazal they say they're not but they'll say that they weren't really proper converts so find right. ways mm-hmm. to disparage their lineage and in second temple thought and, and right through chazal lineage is everything mm-hmm. sorry i think i'm missing something they are they converts or are they descendants so, from so the, tribes? The story in Malachim, right? Um, and correct me if I if I misspeak here, Steve. But the 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 story in Malachim is that they are brought in by the Assyrian leadership, right, to colonize to colonize Israel, right, after the ten tribes have left. And then what happens is they they are like, we don't know how to worship the, the things are bad for us here. We don't know how to worship the God of the land. Bring us bring us a Kohen to teach us the right way to do it. Right, so in that sense, they're converts. Um, but then there's this ongoing ambivalence in in 
in, in the Jewish narrative of it, where, where they're not always 100% in it. So according to the, the according to the Jewish Bible in the Book of Kings, they are not actually the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh. Or some of them are; or, they marry uh-huh. together, uh-huh. right? Um, but it's 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 not straightforward. Mm-hmm. Remember, if you want to get somebody in the Second Temple period, you question and even their earlier, lineage. Right. You go after his lineage, right. right? Right. That's why when they came in and want to help Ezra build the temple, he sends them away. Mm-hmm. There's this long-standing, like. We're Israel, you're not. Mm-hmm. Yes. But look, it's a- after Rabbi Gagin in the 19th century saved them, Samaritans began to soften on Jews. And, and, and certain Christians, British and American Christians, and then Zionist leaders came in and said, aha, Echad Am in the first issue of his newspaper wrote straight out, we have to help these people. Mm-hmm. They're Israelites. They've been there all this time. Why in the world would we be negative toward them? Yeah. Well, I found that in newspapers of his time, there were people being residually negative about them. Mm-hmm. And so this was a long conversation until Yitzchak ben and others began to engage with these people at the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. And much to their advantage, ben did become the second president of the state of Israel right. and their patron saint. Mm-hmm. And so he provided them with whatever they needed in order to build their communities. Hmm. So fast forward to today, um, we can get back to the ancient also, but um, my understanding, you mentioned uh, the community in Nabulus was the one that went back, but now I understand there's also a community in Cholon, which is like within the borders of Israel. And it's sort of like half and half between the... So what can you tell us briefly about... I'm curious about the relationship between those two communities with each other, because one is sort of in the Palestinian area, one's in the Israel area, and also their relationships and attitudes towards Israelis and towards Palestinians, like that triangle. There's nothing more complex than this. Mm. Look, and starting at the turn of the century, of the 20th century, Samaritans started to move into coastal areas because there was work in them or they were for whatever reason they had. And so a small community developed in what became Tel Aviv, mm-hmm. supported again by the Zionist movement. Mm-hmm. So there were supports that they didn't have in impoverished novelists mm-hmm. to the point that between 19, 1948 and 1967, the state of Israel sent money across the border through the Joint Distribution Committee to make sure the Samaritans had enough to eat. Wow. The Samaritans on Mount Grizim moved onto Mount Grizim. They used to be in the city during the first intifada. Mm-hmm. They used to be in Nablus. Mm-hmm. So that's right but nearby. You only have to throw. You only have. It's right above. Mm-hmm. You only have to throw acid on people long enough, or shoot at their stores, or attack them before they decided to create essentially their own yeshuv on top of the mountain. Mm. They live between Israelis. Some of them work in Nablus. Others work at the airport hmm. in, in, in Tel Aviv. Wait, I'm sorry. Um, can you be it, more explicit? Like who was throwing acid on them? What, is it, what does that mean? Local Palestinians. So why were they doing that? Because they, well, for example, the cantor of the community's wife is, uh, was hit with acid. She was working in Bank of Poalim in Nablus. So she, because she was like supporting the occupation by working yes. for an Israeli company. Got it. Sure. And, and even if not, um, Samaritans were seen as a fifth column. Um, the Palestinian Authority has worked very hard to break that down. And, and even since the time of King Hussein, there were very warm relations with the Jordanians. 
So it's so it's not cut and dry. But radicals went after them, and the community during the first intifada found it untenable and moved on top of the mountain. They all have Israeli ID cards. They all have Palestinian ID cards. When they need to go to the hospital, they'll either go to Nablus or they'll go to Tel Shomer, mm. right, they, or Balinston. Um, some of them uh, go to uh, work in 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 um, in Ariel. Others have family businesses or principals in Nablus. It's a very complex reality. The ones in uh, in Kelowna are, are Israeli in every way and serve in the army. Is there any kind of rift between the two communities? Between no. Kelowna and Nablus? They, they no, totally they, get along. They intermarry, and, uh-huh. they go back and forth. Uh-huh. But the ones in Tel Aviv can marry, often marry Jewish girls. Hmm. The ones on Hargreezy never marry Muslim girls. Hmm. But right? I assume no, the rabbi no knew won't going to go up there. Right. Right. I, I assume the rabbi knew won't be the ones who will do the wedding. No, certainly not. <laughs> that would be cool. The high priest does. <laughs> well, they're not Jewish. That's not a Jewish wedding. It's a well, Samaritan many of wedding. them are Jewish at this point. Like halachically Jewish. Many of them are halachically Jewish at this point. Because so? of the because of because because of the coming in of Jewish women uh, in a community that uh-huh. didn't have enough women. Wow, this right. is so wild. This is wild. This is so cool. Hmm. Look, for there's another reason to study these people. That being that they provide the obvious parallel to Jews mm-hmm. in late antique Palestine and onward. That's been completely, uh, almost completely ignored as people like Danny Boyarin and others have jumped to Christians for every purpose. And so you will hear if you read the literature or watch the podcast or read the magazines that rabbinic Judaism's closest cousin is Christianity. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, it isn't. It's Samaritanism. Mm-hmm. And, but but the, you, you don't get headlines until we started creating the headlines. For Samaritanism, that's part of the reason we're creating the headlines. They've been mostly under the radar. And or it, for, from a religious standpoint, as our community, since I'm speaking internally to our community, it's the over-Christianization of our culture, whether in the present or in how we read the past, has to do with living in America. Samaritans provide us an alternate viewpoint. They also have mezuzahs. They also cleanse themselves after Mida. They also won't eat certain foods. In other words, they're not pig-eating Gentiles. They are Israelites. And they provide a fascinating place for comparison. Wow, very interesting. Changing gears a little bit, Jesse, I want to ask you about the exhibition at the Museum of the Bible. Sure. Um, I'm curious kind of like first of all was there any samaritan involvement in putting together the exhibition and i guess more broadly like what were some of the tough decisions or even controversial things if you can get into of like how to present this exhibition what to include and what to what kind of story to tell how to show it so internally there there was never any controversy um i've been like the team my team at the Museum of the Bible has been 100% on board with with all of our curatorial decisions. Um, you know, uh, uh, it's a big project, and you know, there's limited resources for any project, so things got cut sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you know, in terms of in terms of in terms of content, there was never never any real real question there. Um, um, in terms of, in terms of the question about Samaritan involvement, so so this is part of the this is this is really the, the broader project. This isn't just our exhibit here, right? right. right? Um, but Steve has involved from the very beginning um, uh, the Samaritan community, Benjamin Tzedakah, who is a, a major force in the Samaritan community in the world, um, uh, representing the Samaritans uh, all over the place. The uh, project book um, has a includes a blessing from the Samaritan high priest. 
um, uh, sort of written no, as part of the front matter of the book, along with introductions from, uh, you know, uh, Rabbi Dr. Ari Berman and um, uh, Dr. Jeff Kloa, who's uh, my boss, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So, so, so the Samaritans have been involved all along from the very beginning. At the exhibition opening, uh, Benny unfortunately is, is unable to make it, but his brother's coming, and he's mm-hmm. going to give. Um, give a, give a little introduction. Um, uh, so, so like this has um, their blessing. The, yes. Yes. I think, and I think they're, they're excited about it. They, they, yeah, they, yeah. they, they, you know, they, they want to see, um, their story told. They want the world to understand who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we were, we were, we were, we were careful with the content to make sure that it was something that they would be very, that they would be happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, was right? it hard um, to strike a balance between like academic, you know, factual analysis versus like a story and a tradition. So what we've done, um, I think, I think, I think very nicely is is sort of the ex- the exhibits kind of split a little bit. The way the exhibit is structured, right, is that we have a section a section that tells the Samaritan's story from their own perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, a number of short films um, that sort of put you in the Samaritan community at various moments in time around specific themes, around Torah, around their, around their holy mountain, right. Around, uh, around, around wedding ceremonies, around holidays. Um, right. So that's sort of designed to be more of an insider perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, while telling sort of the historical story of the Samaritans right. as well. Um, and then there's a piece then there's a piece called Encounters, a uh, section called Encounters, where we talk about the way Jews, Christians, and Muslims have encountered the Samaritans over the course of their history, mm-hmm. right? And so that lets us take a little bit more distance. It lets us tell the other stories, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, in a lot of the stuff we talked about, some of the the the, the uh, the, the the Jewish anti-Samaritan ideas don't show up and meet meet the Samaritans, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, they show up on the Jewish encounter side as well as um, uh, the wonderful 19th century story of Rabbi Gogan that that Steve shared too. All of that mm-hmm. is there. Um, uh, and then our third, we have a third section um, which kind of tries to bridge the gap a little bit, mm-hmm. which focuses in on a moment in the late 19th century um, where I was talking about a real turning point for the Samaritans when they were at their lowest yeah. populations ever. Um, and their high priest at the time um, uh, becomes kind of a media superstar in a way um, mm. with the increase of tourism, uh, international tourism and uh, Christian American Protestant Christian uh, pilgrimage to the Holy Land, especially. Right. Um, he reaches out to all kinds of people. He build, he's the person who sort of sparks uh, President Ben Svee to get interested in the Samaritans, uh, even as Ben Svee is building other relationships. Right. He um, uh, he he builds relationships with American Protestants, with um, uh, Moses Gaster, a uh, significant both rabbi and scholar in England, Jewish rabbi and scholar in England. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, to help to help um, let the Samaritans tell the story the Samaritans version of their history make its way into the academic world. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, and so, so that's a place, that's a, that, that's a place where you see both the Samaritan perspective and everyone else, the other perspective where they sort of meet. Right. And we get to, we get to, we, we get to see them touch and encounter each other in a, in a very specific way. Mm. Um, so, so the, so the short answer to the question is it was a little bit of a challenge, but we, we built our exhibit, our exhibition, excuse me, to um uh, to explicitly deal with that challenge. Mm-hmm. We were well aware that in doing a sort of anthropological show, we were in position of, of treating these people deeply unfairly, um, which mm-hmm. anthropology has done throughout its history. 
Um, I'm fortunate that I, that I began my life studying with the uh, founder of the fields of Jewish folklore. His name was Dov Noy. And one of his greatest characteristics was that he would walk into people who were very different than he was, look at them in the eye and say, hi guys, how are you? And treat mm -hmm. them as equals and, and, and make friends among those people he made friends with were the mm -hmm. Samaritans. And so our project is deeply focused on the notion that the people we're dealing with are people that we want to like and that we want to be fair to in every way. Um, all, every Samaritan yeah. that appears in our book also has a name. There's no such thing as being the Samaritans. Mm -hmm. You can be Najah and you right. can be Faja and you can be whatever, right? Everybody has a name. Everybody has a personality. Um, we have uh, seven films we've created called Tales of the Samaritan Elders. And we asked a bunch of grandparents what stories they'd want their children, their grandchildren, no, hmm. be preserved for the future. And we filled them telling the stories, whether in Arabic or in wow. Hebrew. And people can go in and sit and listen to these people tell their stories. Uh, by the same token, there are things that Samaritans say about themselves that either Jews find uncomfortable, Christians find uncomfortable, Muslims find uncomfortable, or modern scholars find uncomfortable. And so we <laughs> created the exhibition as a pair of lobes. In other words, if you go left, you walk into the Samaritan story. If you go right, you walk into the Jewish story. And the place you start mm -hmm. from is a Samaritan Torah scroll next to a Jewish Torah scroll. Hmm. And we were very cautious that only at the point of those 19th century encounters do the two meet, mm -hmm. um, specifically for this reason, that we, look, I've spent my entire life being tokenized by uh, as I go into the big world as the Orthodox Jew, mm -hmm. I won't do that to somebody else. I'm mm -hmm. very, very sensitive to it. Yeah, and that definitely came across in the documentary that I that I uh, saw um, very much. Like you definitely relate to the people as as humans, and you're very interested in their story. And you can tell that the filmmakers were doing this with their subjects. It wasn't like a patronizing kind of perspective. And it's the first time a film has been done about them that wasn't, I think, patronizing. Um, it was, what's important to you guys? What What do you want to tell the world about yourselves? Or what do you really not want to tell the world about yourselves, but you'll tell me anyway? Or what do you want to say to the authority figures in your community that you can't say straight? So they used mm. us as a mirror at some level. Um, the films that we have going through the exhibition, as Jesse mentioned, the one on Mount Grisim and the one on the Torah and one on marriage and others uh, are designed to take the artifacts, which are, are, are truly amazing at times, and um, project you into their use, project you, into, project you into the places where they live. It's not enough to have mm -hmm. a stone with the Ten Commandments on it that was created uh, in the Middle Ages and collected by Ben Sfi. We also have Ben Sfi. It's not enough to mm. um, to see a priceless uh, Samaritan uh, gold headband that's belonged to a woman named Mariam Kahanta, but it's set within the context of Samaritan marriage mm. and films about what it means to be married and how weddings work and how they write their marriage documents, which Jews will call a ketubah, but they don't. They call it a mikhtav zivug, which means a letter mm. of pairing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's that place where it looks sort of similar, but remember the text is completely different. And, and, and that's part of the, the fun of this project. They're so close, but they're so distant. 
but who's, what's there to be afraid of Samaritans? There is 850 of them. Our community can learn a lot about itself by talking to yes. these folks. I feel like I'm blown away. Like I'm still very much, I, I didn't know anything about Samaritans only from, you know, what I, what I read in the, the weeks before we were able to have this conversation. And I, I keep being struck thinking about the potential for reunion as being kind of goal as opposed to, okay, we're two sort of separate communities that like, yeah, we have some connections, but we kind of have parallel tracks. I'm like, what does it look like for there to be, I guess, um, a potential, and maybe neither the Jews nor the Samaritans, maybe I'm the only one who's looking for that. Um, I just think that there's something, there's something really special about that, I think. Before Ben Svi died, the leaders of the community went to his house in Jerusalem and gave him a document where they declared the two th- the three thousand year feud over, and that mm. Israel has been reunited. That may have been romantic and all of that, but and, and a little cute. But they really meant it. <laughs> they really meant it. Um, now there are forces on Mount Gerizim that are that prefer the PLO, right? I mean, this is a complex mm. community. Eight hundred people is still eight hundred people, but by the same token. They're no more complex than any of the other Israeli tri- tribes, the Shvatim, right? Whether it be the Karaites or whether it be the Kursim or whether it be the Yemenites or whether it be the, I don't know what, the different kinds of Hasidim. Everybody's complex. And in Israeli civil culture, this is another one of the groups, which is what makes it fascinating um, for a Center for Israel Studies to focus on. We want to be very careful about you know um when i'm looking at someone as however however similar our cultures may be and our religions may be i think it's important right to say well we should we should reunite we should be the same people again right i think i think that that runs the risk of not taking them seriously for who they are right and the real differences that 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 they see Right between our peoples, and I think that's why to say, okay, look, we don't have to have this thousand years, this thousands of years of enmity, right? Because we are so close, we are brothers, right? We are siblings, we are cousins, however you want to say it, right? Um, but, but that, but, but, but that's not going to erase the centrality of, uh, you know, nineteen books of Tanakh and 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 and, and Torah Shabbat Peh. And, and all of the other things that are central to Jewish identity and alien to Samaritan identity. In Israel, they are far more accepted than here. When I, when I first started mentioning this, look, I'm trained at the Hebrew University and I'm basically an Israeli in much of my uh, instincts. Um, when I first started talking about Samaritans, all my friends that lived in the Gush said, oh, cool. And the American friends said, what are those? And the Israelis would say, I was there from Mount Gerizim for, for Pesach. And the Americans would say they still exist. <laughs> um, and so, mm-hmm. but let me tell you a story that, that may be helpful. That I'm gonna, I, I tell, I've told a lot lately. Jesse's probably tired of it. Um, and I'm going to tell it at the <laughs> opening. But when, when my son, who's now a doctoral student in Rebel, was in fourth grade, we were in a small Jewish community and he was studying Masechet Rosh Hashanah. And they came to the second parak. And, it, you know, it talks about those bad Kutim who messed up the... Um, the torches. Torches to, to announce to Bavel what the, um, that the new moon had arrived for Rosh Hashanah, right? 
Then there's those nefarious kusim, as, as the teacher explained it. And then he looked over in his, in his commentary and it said that they are people who pray to doves and they're, they're only converts because the lions scared them and told the kids all of this. Well, mm-hmm. my little boy looked at the, him sort of uncomfortable and he looked at him and said, why are you uncomfortable? And he said, listen, I don't know. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, my Abba has a friend who's a Samaritan. And calling Samaritans Putin is like using the N-word. Hmm. Now, the rabbi didn't know how to respond, but he stopped <laughs> me at carpool. And he said to me, you know Putin? <laughs> yeah. My friends. He said, really? They still exist? Can I know more? And I hmm. ended up bringing this guy with this very black coat who did not go to YU all sorts of things to read because he was curious. There's nothing to lose by talking to these people. They're just plain fascinating and nice. And if we polemicize against them, they won't polemicize against us. We should not take it lightly that our exhibition is being done at the Museum of the Bible, right? The Museum of the Bible is a Christian museum, right? right? That's not our natural territory, folks. The the, the ethnic group of the museum, right? These nice... uh, evangelical Christians have been absolutely marvelous in every possible and professional way, despite what people say about the Museum of the Bible. They've matured beautifully as an institution. Um, The fact that YU is doing this project with the Museum of the Bible is a very nice uh, parallel to YU doing the Samaritans. Hmm. In other words, it is possible to work with people that we don't share every value with. And that's an important lesson. When Steve brought this to me and I brought this to chief curator, right? The the people who get to decide in the end, like what what exhibits are happening, what are not, right? What are we doing? And I pitched it and I pitched it to them. There was never any question that this was like the perfect project to work to collaborate on. Mm-hmm. Here is this group of people who we all have interests in in different ways. Um, who we all can have a relationship with mm-hmm. um, and and whom are, all of our audiences will be excited to learn about and whose story will touch everybody. Yeah, this was really fascinating. I th- obviously, so much more we can uh, talk about, but I loved the documentary. I think everybody, if they get a chance, should really see it. And I myself would love to see the exhibit at the Museum of the Bible before it closes. Um, December 4th is going to be Yeshiva University Day at the Museum of the Bible. Oh, Our perfect. community is welcome to join us. So we have buses leaving from YU and from our surrounding communities um, so that we can come together with Jesse and me and with the other folks at the museum to um, celebrate together and uh, enjoy everything that the amazing Museum of the Bible has to offer and to spend time in our exhibition. Well, thank you both. This was really, uh, this is really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. So, Uri, that was an awesome conversation. You know, that was really, really, yeah. I don't know anything about this stuff. I'm definitely going to try to learn more about this because that was very, very cool. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and of course, as always, the conversation does not end with us. If you want to be in touch with us about this week's episode, about the Samaritans, a fascinating, wild topic. Um, and again, if you want to be in touch with us about last week's episode, about the Pride Alliance Club at YU, we want to hear from you. We, this is not a conversation between the two of us or between us and Dr. Fine and Dr. Avalyn. This is a conversation with all of us. So please be in touch. Join the conversation on our Facebook page, Talking Tacos Podcast. And of course, shoot us an email, talkingtacospodcast at gmail.com. And we're also going to include some links in the description um, for the exhibition and for other aspects of the Samaritans Project, which I highly recommend people look into. Thanks, as always, to Drive-In Productions. They are the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They are the official band of Talking Tachos. Bye, everyone. Zagazun.